uh, at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 to, to 34. Last month, Troy introduced uh, our strategic focus for the year, uh, and it was this idea of a breathe, of learning to breathe again. Uh, we're using breathe as a metaphor for what we need to do as we re- emerge from two really highly unusual and bewildering years that we've been through. Uh, breathe in and ask, where am I, God? Where am I? And then bre- uh, uh, pause in the middle of that and say, God, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing that I could join you with? And finally breathe out and ask God, what do you want me to do? How can I, I partner with you in what you're doing uh, in the world? And so we come to this uh, Cups of Water series and we've been trying through the, the Cups of Water series to focus on the, the breathe out part, um, to paint a picture of what it looks like to partner with God here on earth in our ordinary everyday lives, part of learning to breathe again. Uh, the idea that even in the, the very simple expressions of love, like offering a cup of cold water uh, to a thirsty person, we're partnering with God. Now, we've been looking at uh, some parts of a sermon from Jesus that Matthew records. Uh, the video clip from The Chosen uh, imagined uh, Matthew critiquing the flow of Jesus' sermon as it was being prepared. Um, a sermon, a manifesto, um, that describes what a Christian, uh, a follower of Jesus, is meant to be. What does life look like uh, in a kingdom where Jesus is king? Let me sit down. Um, and you hear uh, things like Jesus saying, I want my followers to, to push back evil, uh, to participate in the renewing and healing of the world. I don't want passive followers. So how are his followers supposed to live? Well, we've seen over the last uh, three Sundays that this sermon describes a a kingdom that turns the values of the world upside down. Uh, And to a world that says, blessed are the rich, uh, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To a world that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for power, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to a world that says, blessed are those who rise to the top, uh, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And last week, Ali uh, beautifully expressed to us the, the idea of uh, loving our enemies. And to a world that's uh, focused on and thrives on revenge, a world that says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, Jesus says, love your enemies. And today, uh, in a broken and, and complicated world uh, where anxiety is prevalent and understandable, uh, Jesus tells his followers not to worry. This must have been a really timely message uh, for the disciples, just as I believe it's a timely message for you and for me uh, today, and maybe especially for me. And as I speak today, I'm speaking to myself probably more than any of you. We live in a worried world, don't we? There's anxiety everywhere. <clears throat> We've had a pandemic and it's ongoing. And the flow-on effect of that on families and, and children particularly. Uh, and then we have floods. Uh, and then we have climate issues and a war that's uh, just mind-blowing and famine in certain parts of the world, rising uh, commodity prices, rising petrol prices that affect us all, uh, housing affordability in Australia just gone through the roof, uh, cost of living pressures, health issues, all these sort of things, <clears throat> things that legitimately uh, concern us, and we'd hardly be human if they didn't. And then we read in Matthew 6 uh, words like this. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Now, 
you've probably been told over the years that when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you, you're meant to ask what it's there for. And uh, it always points back to what was before. You can say, therefore, I tell you not to worry in the light of what's just been said. And it's to point us back to what Jesus has just been saying about how it's impossible to serve two masters, to serve God or wealth. You've, you've got to, you'll serve one or you'll serve the other. <clears throat> it's a choice, he says, between light and darkness. It's a choice between treasure that rusts and decays or treasure that lasts forever. Uh, it's a choice to seek Jesus and to follow him with a whole heart. It's to choose God. And in the light of that choice to choose God, Jesus tells his followers that they're, they're not to worry about having enough food or drink or clothes. I wonder if you've ever had the thought, like I dare say the disciples did, that if I choose to embrace Jesus in the wholehearted way that he wants me to embrace him, uh, if I embrace his upside-down kingdom that seems to be contrary to the ways of the world, if I live the selfless, sacrificial life that he calls me to, how will I be provided for? Where will I find my security in that? Um, putting it all on the line for Jesus can often seem like a, a risky business. And so Jesus uh, gives us an answer to that. And in this passage, it's probably what he says about all of that. And I want us, as we think about this this morning, to be, certainly I'll be asking, what would he want me to be asking myself when I begin to worry about my needs being met? What would Jesus want me to be asking myself when I begin to worry about my needs being met? We're going to read this whole passage and then we'll go over it a little bit by little bit. Therefore I tell you, he says, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow... He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries Today's trouble is enough for today. So, these questions, what would he want me to be asking myself when I begin to worry about my needs? The first question I want to suggest is, am I chasing after the stuff that lasts? Am I chasing after the stuff that lasts? In verse 25 he says, isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? If a follower of Jesus lives only for food and drink and clothes, life becomes all about serving our physical body, doesn't it? And the ad advertising world is totally into this, doesn't it? It says, eat this, wear this, watch this. And we're bombarded with everything we need for the welfare 
of our body, how to feed it, how to hydrate it, how to clothe it, how to warm it, how to cool it, how to refresh it, how to relax it, how to entertain it, how to soothe it, how to deodorise it, um, how to protect it, how to pamper it. Um, and Jesus said that these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, those who haven't chosen the treasure that lasts forever in following Jesus. And so when Jesus tells his followers not to worry about what to eat or drink or wear, he doesn't mean that those things don't matter. Of course they matter. But it's a matter of priorities. Either we're trusting God for everything or we're trusting in something else to give us uh, security. And Jesus sums it up in verse 33 of this passage where he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Tom Wright summarises it like this. He says, put the world first and you'll find it gets moth-eaten in your hands. Put God first and you'll get the world thrown in. I uh, remember reading Stephen Covey in that classic quote about having to decide what your highest priorities are and then having the courage to pleasantly and smilingly and non-apologetically say no to other things. And the way you say no to other things is to have uh, a bigger yes burning inside. And for the follower of Jesus, that bigger yes is Jesus himself. Now, I I might be tempted to delay getting serious about this kingdom living stuff uh, because I want to work first to become uh, financially secure. And And Jesus would say to me, if I do that, I've got the order wrong and I might never, ever get around to being the kingdom person that he wants me to be. My, one of my aunties used to have a little thing up in, in her kitchen and it said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And I wonder if you've decided to pursue Jesus, to chase after him with all that you are and have, to seek the kingdom of God above all else. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And uh, we reflected this morning, and Bron did, about one of the aspects of that decision is that we've become part of a big family. And that big family is an incredibly supportive family, a family that cares for us as, as God cares for us and cares for us through that family. So we're not alone. So the first question we need to ask ourselves, am I chasing after stuff that lasts? Second question I think we should ask is, am I trusting in a father who cares? Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory, and Solomon was pretty glorious and had plenty of wealth, he wasn't dressed as beautifully as a flower. Now, if you've looked at a little flower and and delved into the the detail of it sometimes, I once had a rose and I just pulled back the petals and there was something like a hundred and something petals on one rose. And uh, some other flowers have unbelievably intricate designs, uh, designs that we could hardly replicate. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Matthew uses, or Jesus uses this expression, little faith. It's almost like a, a word, oligoposti, or some, word, some Greek word. And he uses it four times in, in Matthew alone. Uh, he calls them little faiths um, because they don't trust God as they should. God will certainly care for you. See, God is involved in the intricate processes of lilies blooming and wildflowers gaining their colour and nothing happens apart from God in this world. And it all happens in such a way that we look at it and we say, wow, God did that, God did that. I, um, I'm not a gardener and actually I don't know about you but I, 
I find bulbs annoying um, because when I'm weeding the garden, I tend to dig them up wrongly. And yet bulbs, when you think about it, are the most amazing things, aren't they? My sister-in-law gave me some bulbs and um, I just sort of put them in the garden and forgot about them. And then springtime came and these irises came up and they were magnificent. They lasted about two weeks and they were gone. But my neighbour over the road, she just thought they were fantastic and they were. Um, but they don't last for a long time and, and God is involved with all the intricacy of that. They're magnificent for two weeks and then they're gone. Jesus points out that if God cares for things like that, that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more does he care for his children? You know, I, I probably one of the most um, life-changing uh, events in my life and Heather's life was when we were about 30 years old, um, we went to church one night and a guy spoke and he spoke about these three O words about God. God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, and God is omnipresent. And they basically mean God knows everything, God is all-powerful, and God is present everywhere. And the big challenge in this talk was, do you really believe that about God? Because if you believe that God is all-powerful, do you actually believe and trust that he could care for you? Yeah, would you be able to take a risk on the basis of that? And uh, on the basis of that talk and our conversation afterwards, we made a decision to um, do something totally different for a year, uh, to give up my job, uh, to resign, um, to move into state. We had two little kids. And I know in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll be broke by the end of this. Um, and I wasn't. And it was probably the, the, the most exciting, uh, blessed year of our lives. And God provided in ways that I wouldn't have expected. One of the things I used to do, I, I couldn't work because I was studying, but one of the things was I worked in a, an old folks' home. And uh, I'd mow, gra mow the grass on a Friday afternoon because that was our day off. And, you know, they'd pay me a little bit for mowing the grass, but all the old ladies, they'd invite me in for a cup of tea. And after I had the cup of tea, they'd all slip me $20 or $50. I'd go home with more cash than I got paid for mowing the grass. Um, and it was, a, it was a little lesson to me that God actually cares for his children. Uh, it, was, it was small by, in, in comparison to some people's experience of living by faith, but for me it taught me a lot that actually God, God actually cares about the small things and the big things of our life. When we were at, the, we were at, a, at a Bible college and we, had, we lived in a little flat there and there was couples either side of us and they were very different. Uh, one of them had, be, had lived in this cornerstone community where they almost had to live communally. And uh, if you got a job driving a truck, which Russell had, all your money from driving that went to the community. And if somebody else needed a pair of shoes, you bought them a pair of shoes with the communal money. So they lived really frugally. But Russell's uh, story about how God was good was that when he needed money, God always provided him with work. Now, on the other side of us, we had a couple who lived there. And uh, their story was a little bit different. They were quite gifted musically and whatever. Uh, and they were just, God was always just showing up. And uh, they'd be going home to their house in Newcastle from Sydney and they had to stop at a church on the way because they were singing there. And they'd get back to their car and somebody had slipped $50 in the window. It was always stories like that. And uh, it was just a, a lesson to me that God looks after his children in all sorts of ways and uh, he already knows all your needs. And so the question... First of all, is, am I chasing after stuff that lasts? Secondly, am I trusting a father who cares? And thirdly, and I think uh, Ron touched on this, do I know how valuable I am in his eyes? Look at the birds. 
They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Birds. We went camping. I'm not a great camper in my old age, but uh, sleeping on a floor on the ground isn't great. We went camping at, uh, up near Taggarty a few weekends ago, and there were these two magnificent trees behind our tent. Anyway, we, looked, we thought it was just a lovely spot to camp. We woke up about five o'clock the first morning. These, I think, corellas or some sort of cockatoos just totally populating one of these trees, or both of these trees, I think, and the noise was just unbelievable. And I don't know what they were doing, but by the time they cleared out about an hour and a half later, the ground was littered with leaves. Um, somebody tells me it's just because they try to keep their beaks um, sharpened so they can eat other stuff, but they also eat some leaf buds, I think. Anyway, it just struck me that here are these birds flying around, the stuff's there in the tree that they somehow like, and they're looked after, hundreds of them. When you looked at the tree, you probably can't see in the picture, that, that tree was just... Every jolly branch on that tree had a bird in it. I wonder, Jesus isn't saying to us, you know, be like the birds, stop working, God's going to provide for you. His command to not worry shouldn't cause us to be lazy or complacent. Uh, We should work and we should work hard as if we're working for God himself. But Jesus is teaching us that instead of worrying, we need to trust in God and trust that he cares for us. His care for us is a providential care. My, um, I, got, I had two grandfathers. So I found this old photo. Uh, they used to get on well with each other, which was great. One was short and one was tall. But the, the one in the middle there was the uh, grandfather on my mum's side. And uh, he was just a, a terrific fella. And we used to have a holiday place that he owned up near Buxton. It was about three acres. had the Akron River driving, going around the back. We used to plead with our parents to go there on holidays because we just loved it so much had a tennis court, Dad had bought an old tractor. And my grandfather, over the years, had tried to grow trees down the fence line because we weren't there all the time and stray cattle got in and whatever. They never seemed to survive, but he, he loved this idea of planting a row of poplar trees. Anyway, on the mirror in the, in the lounge room in that thing, he had these little things, little quotes, stuck on his ticket tape. One of them was about trees, not, a, not relevant to our talk today, but I'll share it with you. Um, it said, "'He that planted the tree is a servant of God.'" He provideth a kindness for many generations and faces that have not seen him will bless him. I must have read that a lot of times, but I think my grandfather was a greenie ahead of his time. Um, but the, 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 verse that's, the thing that was on this mirror that was relevant um, to what we're talking about today was a, a well-known old uh, poem that said, it's about two birds talking to each other. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Now, it's a lovely little poem, um, perhaps not uh, strictly accurate, in that Jesus didn't say the birds had a heavenly father. We do. But the point is that if the creator cares for the created, How much more certain is it that the father cares for his children? I wonder if a great amount of worry uh, happens for followers of Jesus because they don't understand uh, their immense value to God. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says this. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? Since he didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If God gave his very, very best for us, if he sent his son, his son who came and lived and died and rose again so that we could be brought back into relationship with God so that our sin could be forgiven and so that we could be uh, friends with God again. If God did that for us, how will he not also provide everything else we need? We're of supreme value to him and God gave it all for us. So am I chasing the stuff that lasts? Am I trusting a father who cares? Do I know how valuable I am in his eyes? And finally, and it's almost like a little proverbial ending to this uh, passage, am I taking one day at a time? Can all your worries, verse 27 says, add a single moment to your life? We all know about the futility of worry, even though we struggle with it. But can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And then don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You see, Jesus said in John 16, 33, that in the world we have trouble. Um, we know that. We live in a, a broken world and we have trouble. He did also say that, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. But worry is unproductive, isn't it? My mother used to say, after I'd worried about something the following day, she'd say, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday, and all is well. And uh, that's tr the truth, isn't it? Oftentimes, a lot of the things that we worry about, um, they weren't worth worrying about at the end of the day. Someone has said that we need to live in the present instead of crippling the present by fear of the imagined future. Let me repeat that. We need to live in the present instead of crippling, crippling the present by fear of the imagined future. Brian quoted that beautiful verse this morning from Philippians 4, which says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. They were the words of Paul, one of the early Christian leaders. Peter, who also was an early Christian leader, said this, God, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. When I was growing up, I learned a verse from the book of Lamentations, which is not a very widely read book in the, uh, in the Bible, but it, it said something like this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends or never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So this idea that God's mercies are refreshed each morning, God mercifully gives us enough grace for every day, fresh each morning, so that we can be fully present for others in the day that he's given to us. And so as, as we close this morning, maybe you've, uh, you think about, you know, there's a struggle that's going on in your world at the moment. Maybe it's a struggle in your family. God promises to give you the grace you need to deal with that today. So today, do your best to love your family uh, and don't worry about tomorrow. God's going to give you the grace tomorrow to love them tomorrow. Maybe you've got a difficult boss who's really hard to please. You need to honour and do your best for him on Monday. And don't worry about Tuesday because God's mercies begin afresh on Tuesday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's trouble is enough for today.
So there's four things. Am I chasing after truth that lasts? Stuff that lasts, sorry. Am I trusting a father who cares? Do I know how valuable I am in his eyes? And am I taking one day at a time? You see, Jesus has work for his followers to do, like giving cups of water. Um, sometimes it's really everyday stuff. Sometimes it's really big stuff. But it's about being a person who brings the life and love of the kingdom of the heavens into their earthly space. I've been reading um, some devotionals that put on by Tear Fund, uh, Reflections for Lent, and uh, Lent is those six, six weeks before Easter. But there was a, a, a wonderful one this uh, last week from Tim Costello, and I, I just want to close with this because I think it sums up a lot of, of the, the hope that we have as Christians and the, the sense that our security comes from somewhere else. He says this, This is God's world. He's passionate about the broken and poor. He hasn't given up on them. And therefore, if I orient myself with that God and follow him in Jesus, I have to come out of my bubble. I have to expose myself to giving and serving. And I think that's where resurrection helps. If I really believe I don't have to squeeze everything into this one life, every advance and protection and career opportunity, because there is another life, I can give sacrificially. I can actually take risks. I can actually take serious kingdom risks because I believe there's another world and I'm going to be part of it. What a beautiful thought to close on. That's the security that followers of Jesus have, that there's a a life beyond this life and it's a good life and it's the hope that uh, is our ultimate security. So I just hope these thoughts have been encouraging to you. We're going to listen to a beautiful song, Peter. The rich of this world will fade, but the treasures of our God remain. I wonder, as you sit here and focus on those things, you might just, um, just reflect on these four questions. Am I chasing the right stuff? Am I trusting a father who cares? Do I know how valuable I am to him? And am I taking one day at, all, at a time? Maybe this is an opportunity for you to just surrender afresh your life to the one who made you and loves you and cares so deeply for you. Thanks, Peter. song you might want to just close your eyes and open your hands just as a sign of surrendering your worry to God just as a as a as a physical response to what we've been um, been sharing today just sit there close your eyes and um, perhaps join in sort of halfway through the song eh?